Hey there, folks. Before we get started, I just wanted to say this episode deserves a bummer warning. You're going to hear us talking about a historical genocide and drawing parallels to current United States policy, uh, as well as a lot of frustration and some nervous laughter to cut the tension so we can just get through. So uh, that's what you have to expect. Now, here's the music. And welcome to History Honeys, the podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past. Darling, something very exciting happened today. What? There's a trailer for the next season of Doctor Who, a little, little teaser. Oh. Yeah. That is very exciting. Does the trailer tell us when it's coming back? Fall. Oh. Vaguely. But like fall, you don't have to wait till the Christmas special, right? Right, right. Okay. Not like, you know, that one. That one. With Kylie Minogue in it. Voyage of the Damned? Yeah, that's what we're going to talk about. Kylie Minogue? No, I wish we were talking about Kylie Minogue. No, we're going to talk about the real-life event that that episode took its name from. Okay, the, which is not the Titanic. No, no, it's it's there's a, there is a boat. Yeah. Completely different boat. Different boat. In fact, uh, it, I wasn't worried about the, the episode's title being way too long. It would be called The 1939 Voyage of the MS St. Louis. Okay. It, it would not fit it on people's little phone screens very well. It doesn't flow the same no. way. <laughs> so yeah, that's what we're going to talk about. So, these people on the MS St. Louis, uh-huh. who were they? Where were they coming from? Where were they going? Were were they the people trying to escape the Nazis, they but were turned were. away from, like, everywhere? They were. They, they were 937 passengers who boarded in Hamburg and headed to Cuba. Uh, and the plan was they'd take this uh, Caribbean cruise and not get back on the boat. That was the plan. Mm-hmm. It didn't really work out that no. way. When I say 937 passengers, that is 936 refugees and one tourist. Just one tourist. I one have person to who was really actually a tourist. When he figured out this wasn't your average cruise. Like, he had every intention of returning. Yeah. That was going to yeah. be an awkward boat ride back. He's just like, yeah, Cuba, great. And then, wait, where'd everybody go? Yeah. Yeah. This was organized in part by the captain of uh, the St. Louis, one Gustav Schroeder. Captain Schroeder spent the First World War as a captive in Calcutta and then served on civilian vessels through the 20s and 30s. He was not a Nazi himself and, uh, as we'll see, had no sympathy for those in power. Mm -hmm. So the St. Louis was a pretty nice ship. Uh, Nightly activities like dances and movies. They had a beer fest. Uh, and the passengers were treated well. They they had weekly worship services in the, the dining hall. They sort of converted it. Uh, the kitchen kept kosher, at least as best they could. And they served foods that were rationed back in Germany. Uh, child care was available during mealtimes. So so nice a nice uh, setting. Yeah. I, the, the pool was open. They were teaching kids swim classes. 
Well, you know, when you got a really long boat journey, mm-hmm. it's really got how you got to do it. It, it was, in the end, uh, the cruise liner. That's what yeah. they do. Uh, one of the, the children gone on to do plenty of interviews about this sort of thing and called it a vacation cruise to freedom. Yeah. Uh, all of this on a ship that set sail under the Nazi flag. Yes. Uh in addition to those 900-plus passengers, we're talking about over 200 crew, and they weren't all like Captain Schroeder. Yeah. Uh, shortly after embarking, he had a meeting with the entire staff to emphasize that these were paying guests to be treated with the same dignity as any other, or they would answer to him. Uh, in addition to just the general anti-Semitism of a German cruise ship crew of 1939... Mm-hmm. They probably weren't tipping particularly well. Yeah. The, these were people who had sold uh, whatever they could in order to pay for passage and and visas and everything else they needed to yeah. emigrate. Yeah. Not a lot left over for, you know, the, the swim coach or your, your waiter. Yeah. So after this meeting, the uh, portrait of Hitler was taken down from the social hall. Uh, the bust of Hitler was covered by a tablecloth. Good, good. Uh, on the, the voyage, an elderly passenger passed away from a, an illness that he had, and Schroeder worked with a rabbi on board to try to make a suitable Jewish burial at sea, try to merge those two uh, traditions. Yeah. Because keeping the body until they landed in Cuba would be impractical, to yeah. say the least. Uh, the law required anybody buried at sea to be draped in the Nazi flag. Schroeder's first act of treason was to refuse to do so. He did not allow that. Good. Yeah. So what exactly were they fleeing? What was the situation in spring 1939? Nazis! They were yeah. fle- for, They were getting away from the Nazis! It's not hard to figure out. But specifically, though, like it's not like you flip a switch... Like, Holocaust on, off. No. Right. So, uh, Hitler had been in power as as Fuhrer for five years. The Nuremberg race laws had been in place for four of those years. Uh, Those laws stripped German Jews of their citizenship, making them subjects rather than citizens. Mm -hmm. Uh, They prevented Jews from marrying non-Jews and required all who sought marriage licenses to submit to a medical examination at the hands of the state. Uh, and the Nuremberg Laws, in order to define who they applied to, had to come with a legal definition of, quote, full Jew. Mm-hmm. Jews were banned from uh, joining the military or receiving national health insurance benefits. Uh, they could not be accountants or dentists or practice law or teach German children. They were barred from claiming tax deductions. All Jewish-owned businesses, wealth, and property had to be registered, and Jewish passports were branded with a big red J stamp. Mm-hmm. Now, the most infamous part of the Holocaust, the systematic murders in death camps, had not yet begun. Yeah. Uh, the, the stated purpose of all this repression was to, of course, punish the Jewish people for their crimes— uh, and protect the Aryan people from their influence. The The intent was to make them all go away, to, to force emigration like this, like the voyage we're talking about. Uh-huh. But the thing is, nobody would take them. Uh-huh. 
1938, 32 nations of the world sent delegates to a conference in France to decide what to do with this flood of refugees. Uh, one by one, the countries expressed their sympathy, but did not commit to opening themselves up any more than their previous immigration laws. Uh, we're, we're talking about the era of national quotas uh -huh. and, and caps. The German representative to this conference uh, made a statement on how astounded he was that he was criticized for his nation's treatment of the Jews, but none of them were willing to step up and do something about it. Ha 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 ha. Mm-hmm. So the, the big inciting incident for this specific uh, emigration, the specific cruise, was Kristallnacht and its fallout. Okay. 17,000 Jews were expelled from Germany to Poland, but Poland didn't take them. So there's this uh, camp right on the border uh, for months. Yeah. The teenage son of one of the deportees assassinated a Nazi official in Paris, and that was the, the excuse, uh, the, the spark that lit off this massive reprisal, uh, which began on November 9th, 1939. Uh, we got Nazi stormtroopers, SS, Hitler Youth, other general Nazis riding against the Jewish population. <laughs> Synagogues vandalized and desecrated, Jewish businesses burned and looted, uh, Jews themselves beaten and murdered in the streets. Mm -hmm. uh, the police sat and watched it happen. Of course. Fire departments stood by, ready and waiting to prevent fires from spreading to non-Jewish owned buildings. Of course. Hermann Goring, who was in charge of these efforts, uh, charged the Jewish population one billion marks to pay back the damages. Uh, how do you do that? By being in charge of the country. <laughs> but, like, how do you collect that? Legally, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Taking aside the fact that there are Nazis and all that. <laughs> but, like, that's a very hard thing to even, like, do? Logistically. Yes. Yeah. Like, the logistics of that. I'm like, I don't think that's going to be worth it for you, dude. <laughs> But this led to even harsher policies like the transfer of Jewish-owned uh, buildings and businesses to, quote, Aryans. Mm-hmm. That's how you do it. Mm-hmm. And this was the watershed moment where policy turned toward active extermination. Mm-hmm. Uh, a number of our 937 passengers were arrested following Kristallnacht. One of them, Aaron Posner, had spent time in Dachau, and his first-hand stories of the camps hardened everyone's resolve to escape the continent. Mm -hmm. So back to the boat. May 27th, they arrive in Havana Harbor and were denied entry. Yeah. Cuba had changed their visa policies in order to prevent just this sort of thing, and the news hadn't got to them yet. Enter Wasn't it, like, just very briefly before, too? Yes. Like, a couple days or something? Entry to Cuba required written authorization from the Cuban Secretaries of State and Labor and the posting of a $500 bond. Oof. And landing permits, like you said, uh, issued before May 5th, which is one week before the St. Louis embarked, were retroactively invalidated. Great. So anybody who did the smart thing and got their papers in order before getting on the boat, apparently that was wrong. They should not have done that. Yeah. With no way of, like, without a crystal ball, yeah. no way of knowing. 
Behind the scenes, U.S. Secretary of State Cordell Hull tried to convince Cuba to take them in without any success. Uh, the situation in Cuba was not uh, particularly sympathetic. On May 8th, Havana was host to an anti-Semitic demonstration with 40,000 spectators. Uh, that's in person, more listening on the radio. And, and I, I mentioned that uh, because fascism is not a binary state, yeah. and it is not a matter of government alone. It is an ideology. Yes. Cuba in the 30s, close ties to Franco's Spain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These passengers, they did not take the news particularly well. One passenger attempted suicide. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess I, I get that. And after five days of sitting in port, five days of waiting and, and pleading, only 29 were admitted. I assume because they had like $500 lying well, around. 22 of them had valid U.S. visas. The restrictive oh. policy had an exception for Americans. Oh. Yeah, they, they got to come in on American tourist visas. Ah. Uh, four Spanish citizens and two Cuban nationals had valid entry documents. <laughs> and number 29 was the one who had attempted suicide and was admitted to a Cuban hospital. It's an the option. way you should have done it, I guess, is is just enough to uh, get admitted. Just enough. Just enough. Thread that needle. Some passengers had family that had already fled to either Cuba or, or the U.S. or some place within reach who had come to the harbor and rented boats in order to wave goodbye and try to see their families from, from different parts of the harbor. Ugh. As the the St. Louis uh, uh, raised anchor and set sail again, those friends and family were left wondering if they would ever be reunited. The boats should just follow them out to sea, mm -hmm. and then you jump off and swim to the other boat. We gotta think outside the box here, people. <laughs> Go out to the ocean where no one can see us, you jump, mm -hmm. swim here, you sneak in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the mood had, of course, completely changed. There were nightly patrols to prevent suicide, and also to watch out for people planning mutinies. Yeah. The, the sick bay was full of uh, people who were depressed and had worried themselves sick, like in a very literal sense. Yes, yes. Uh, one survivor, who was a child at the time, said that they knew if they were sent back to Germany, they'd be immediately put on the trains. Yeah. Schroeder sailed north to the U.S., toward Florida. Uh, he stayed on the boundary of international waters, but came close enough to Miami to see the lights of the hotels. Mm -hmm. Also close enough uh, to, to establish radio contact to, to send pleas for help over the radio to anyone who would listen. Uh, President Roosevelt met with his cabinet to decide what was to be done. Uh, Cordell Hull advised against accepting them. Uh, see, he, he wanted Cuba to take them in, so it wouldn't be his problem. Of course. Not because he, he wanted them accepted anywhere, just anywhere but here. Uh-huh. Hull's official position was that they could not be legally issued tourist visas because they had no home address. That's just the way the law is. And also, this was a matter between the passengers and the Cuban government. Uh, the, the U.S. government is not a party to this. We, we had no business interfering. Uh-huh. In 1940, a, a similar situation, another boatload of refugees from Nazi Germany uh, uh, was asking the U.S. for help, and Eleanor Roosevelt went behind Hull's back to issue them visas. 
Good. Uh, later in the war, a, a group of American Jews raid, uh, raised a lot of money to send to Romania to help uh, prevent the extermination of Romanian Jews. Uh-huh. And uh, uh, Secretary of State Hall delayed that transfer of funds from happening. Of course. It, it had to get approval from the State Department, and he just like stuck it in a drawer for a few months. You're not even taking people. It's just giving money. What a asshole he is. They get worse. Great. The State Department sent a telegram in response to one of the passengers uh, that said, quote, passengers must await their turns on the waiting list and qualify for and obtain immigration visas before they may be admissible into the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, the U.S.'s annual immigration quota for Germany and Austria was 27,370. Uh-huh. Uh, the waiting list was several years long at this point. If the passengers of the St. Louis were given visas, it would bump those other refugees further down the waiting list. Yeah. Now, get, getting chased out of Havana made for a big international story. This hit the papers, a big outpouring of support in the American media, but very few calls for the U.S. to accept. Yeah. Uh, which is reflected in this quote from the uh, New York Times opinion page. We can only hope that some hearts will soften somewhere and some refuge be found. The cruise of the St. Louis cries to heaven of man's inhumanity to man. Just somewhere. Some refuge. Not, hey, I'm calling on my senator. Like, uh, let's, let's do this. Just somewhere. Wouldn't it be nice if things were better? Instead the, of let's make them better. Yeah, the the thoughts and prayers of 1939. <laughs> we're, we're talking about quotas and visas and, and, and waiting lists, but Roosevelt had it in his power to take them by executive order and, and bypass that whole situation. Yeah. But he was setting up for an unprecedented third presidential uh, uh, run and decided to take things safe. Didn't, didn't want to hit any of these hot buttons. Oh! You know, re Republicans won uh, uh, more seats in, in the 38 election. He wanted to, to keep things level. It's a good thing I have a dog here right now. <laughs> So uh, Secretary Cordell ordered the Coast Guard to, to go find him, make sure they don't get lost, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and keep an eye on the St. Louis as they uh, kept sailing. It never stopped in an American port. Uh -huh. uh, they, they were also sending wires, sending uh, uh, pleas to Canada. You know, why yeah. not? Canada also refused to accept them. Uh, that was the decision of Immigration Director Frederick Blair, who uh, went on to brag about keeping European Jews out of Canada. Over the course of the 1930s, Canada accepted 5,000 total Jews compared to the U.S.'s 200,000. Uh-huh. In the post-war years, Canada accepted 8,000 Holocaust survivors, the worst record of refugee-receiving states. There is a book. What's up, Canada? There is a book about immigration director uh, Frederick Blair that is named for a quote of his, None is too many. I hope he died a painful death. When he retired, he was given an award uh, for his service to the civil service. Oh, of course. Of course he was. I hope it fell on him. <laughs> and it hurt really hard and bad. It, it was a little metal, so it probably wouldn't hurt that bad. <gasps> 
The ship's... Hope he got electrocuted because it touched something. Yeah. 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 There we go. How about that? The ship's owners, the uh, Haypig Cruise Line, ordered them back to port uh, for, quote, resupply. They were they were fine. <laughs> uh, after his passengers were denied from, from three nations and counting, Captain Schroeder vowed to himself that none of them would go back to Germany. So on June 6th, they did set sail east toward Europe, but Schroeder was in secret contact with the British government, trying to find a home for each and every one of the 900-plus passengers still on board. Mm-hmm. Now, the problem with secret meetings is nobody knows you're having them. Yeah. Everybody on this boat just knows, wait a minute, we're headed back toward Europe. This is terrifying. Yeah. So that, that Dachau survivor, Aaron Posner, led a mutiny attempt and seized the bridge, demanding they set sail anywhere but Germany. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the captain kept his cool, pointed out, all right, you've got the bridge, but you don't have the engine room, and I don't think you've got uh, all of the passengers. Uh, if you just back off now, I promise you will not be brought up on criminal charges. Mm-hmm. By the way... I'm in secret meetings with the UK government. Like, trust me, I'm on your side. Yeah. But those meetings weren't going particularly well. Uh. Time was running out and Schroeder was uh, running out of plays, running out of, like, people to call. So he had a backup plan. He was planning to run the ship aground on the shores of England and set fire to it. <laughs> so that the British would have to take the passengers as refugees. They would have no choice. Yeah. So that, we're going to take a quick break. Okay. <laughs> So when we last left off, Captain Schroeder was planning to be an action movie hero in a desperate attempt yeah. to, to not go back to his home port. I think it's a great idea. He considered doing it uh, in the U.S. as well, but then that Coast Guard uh, escort prevented him from doing so. Okay, so you just accidentally hit the Coast Guard <laughs> escort. And oh no, rescue us. <laughs> but... But this plan did not come to pass because plan A sort of came through. There was a last minute breakthrough when uh, the UK, France, Belgium, and the Netherlands combined to accept all of them. Uh Four nations, none of which were willing to take over 900, but they were willing to take a a fraction. Yeah. And they, they were all to be placed. Uh, the passengers got the news one month after setting sail in Hamburg. Mm-hmm. A few months after th- the passengers were settled in those four countries, war broke out and the Nazis invaded three of them. Yep. And brought the Holocaust back to them. Yep. So I should slammed into America. <laughs> or or Canada. Yeah. Or Cuba. Anywhere farther away. <laughs> Uh, Historians from the U.S. Holocaust Museum trace the lives of the resettled passengers, uh, the ones in France, Belgium, and the Netherlands, and found that 254 of them were murdered in the Holocaust, mostly at Auschwitz and Sobibor. 
Mm-hmm. 87 were able to emigrate away before the Germans invaded the places they settled. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly to America. The story of the St. Louis became a feature in Nazi propaganda. The, the same tack from that 1938 conference. If the world will not take Germany's Jews, we have to do something ourselves. All those other countries, they're forcing us to, to put them in these camps. Uh-huh. That now have the, the gas and the ovens going. Yep. Schroeder ran a British blockade to resupply the St. Louis in Russia. Nice. Then sailed back uh, to port in Hamburg. Uh, he sailed to St. Louis for another Caribbean cruise that summer, but his passengers were not allowed to board. <laughs> Just a big empty cruise ship going to the Caribbean. They were all like, we know what you're going to do. No. But they didn't say don't sail. They just said go ahead with nobody. Just the the a ghost ship of shuffleboard. Yeah. A very str- it must have been a very strange mood. Yes. Uh while he was out on that journey, war was declared. He had to sail through another blockade on the the way back and eventually made his way uh to port on New Year's Day 1940. Mm-hmm. where he was assigned a desk job and never sailed again. Yeah, I'm surprised that, like, considering yeah. that they even let him go again. I'm surprised they even let him have a job. I'm surprised he wasn't shot when he came back the first time. Uh, after the war, he was tried for aiding the Nazi regime. This was a military desk job, after all. But testimony from the survivors of the St. Louis vindicated him. Uh, He was honored uh, in his life by West Germany and posthumously by uh, the Yad Vashem Holocaust Memorial of Israel for his efforts. Mm -hmm. Uh, Secretary of State Cordell Hull was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for his work as the architect of the United Nations. He's also a minor character in the musical Annie. When Roosevelt rolls in with some of his cabinet members, one of them is Cordell Hull. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, that makes that musical even weirder. The United States State Department officially apologized for uh, their part in this uh, in 2012. Oh, yeah. Earlier this year, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced the Canadian government would formally apologize sometime. It, but, but they have yet to. That that bill has yet to be ratified, as far as I know. But there are plans to officially apologize soon. It, do- it doesn't take a lot to just say, we are sorry we were assholes. Mm-hmm. There, there was a monument to the, the St. Louis and its denial put in, I think, Winnipeg Harbor, uh, somewhere in Canada, uh, in the early 2000s. Uh-huh. Which they is can make a monument, but they couldn't say sorry. They, they couldn't say sorry on behalf of Parliament. No. Not yet, anyway. Real close. Aaron Posner, a Dachau survivor and would-be mutineer, was one of the hundreds on the German journey to die at Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. The name of this episode comes from a 1974 book about the journey uh, and the 1976 film adapted from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the film stars Faye Dunaway, Orson Welles, Malcolm McDowell, Jose Ferrer, Jonathan Price, and Max von Sydow as Captain Schroeder. Uh-huh. It's a stacked cast. Those are a lot of my favorite people. Yeah. The film got three Oscar nominations and won none of them. 
Survivors who have seen it mostly don't like it. Yeah, sure. Uh, and even the ones that do say it was a, just a bit too Hollywooded up, you know, too too dramatized. Like, yeah, it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, how does the United States deal with asylum seekers today? <laughs> if this boat set sail in 2018, how would things be different? They wouldn't. Uh, I'd say they'd be significantly okay. different. Okay. But considering a lot of things in the world right now. <sighs> from 2000, Give me hope. From 2003 to 2017, the United States has accepted nearly 925,000 refugees, more than any other country in that period. Huh. 22%, give or take a few tenths, uh, of asylum seekers originate from China. Mm -hmm. uh, seeking asylum is illegal. There are no caps. There are no quotas. We are beyond the era of national quotas. Mm -hmm. An asylum seeker, or asylee, is someone who has fled their country and fears going home, whether or not their application for refugee status has yet been approved. A, a refugee is a specific legal title mm -hmm. by you know international treaty. The first step is uh, uh, presenting yourself at a port of entry, and after a 48-hour minimum waiting period in detention, speaking to an immigration official in a credible fear interview. If they say, yes, you have credible fear, then you move on to the next step. A 12-page form, the I-589 application, uh -huh. uh, that form has a 14-page instruction booklet. Oh. Uh, those 26 pages combined are only available in English. The form can only be filled out in English. If any other language is used, it is like, nope, take this back, try again. Do you get an interpreter? Do you get an interpreter? It's not a yeah, universal thing. It, it depends on what the uh, current policy of the executive branch says. See. Let's say that. Okay. Uh, once that form is filled out and accepted, you eventually get a hearing in front of an immigration judge to see whether the application is accepted or not. Mm -hmm. And uh, once the immigration judge says you are accepted, there you go. You are now uh, uh, welcome to the United States. You are a refugee. Congratulations for escaping whatever heinous conditions you were escaping. Uh-huh. That's only if they say yes, though. Yeah. Otherwise, they can say, no, go back to where you came from. Yeah. Applications from Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador have spiked recently, with more applicants over the last three years than in the previous 17 combined. Yep. Uh, th this is the so-called Northern Triangle. This is uh, the region of South America where the, the spooky MS-13 boogeymen exist. Mm -hmm. Which, yeah, they're, they're horrid. They're monstrous yeah. people. Yeah. It, it's And that's why we have refugees coming from there. Yes. Not the, the people committing the violence, the people in living in fear of the violence. That's who's trying, coming here. Trying to get away. The instability, uh, the, the breakdown in uh, uh, institutions that these gangs are filling is a direct result of American Cold War policy and then war on drugs policy. Yep. Uh, persecution by a government is explicitly covered. Persecution by 
uh, gang activity, no matter how organized and powerful they are, is a matter of interpretation by officials and judges. Yeah. There is a chance your immigration judge will say, well, the government of Guatemala didn't do squat to you. You don't qualify. Even though it does, a lot of these gangs have more power and run areas of yeah. the countries more if, than government does. If you take the, the classic definition of a government as the ones with the uh, uh, monopoly on legitimate use of force. Yeah. They're the government in many regions. Yes. They have the power. Wait times for court hearings are up to five years. As pending cases rise sharply, making that wait time even longer, the number of credible fear cases, the number of times uh, uh, your step one says, yes, you have credible fear, has dropped. People are being turned away at that step. Uh Uh-huh. This is a multiple-step process, and at every stage, people get left behind, right? Yeah. There's, there's a series of hurdles, and people can trip at any given one of them. Uh, every stage can be made just a bit more difficult, increasing the number that trips and falls by the wayside. Effectively, the system designed to prevent people from being sent back to the danger they left can be made a de facto closed door. Yeah. The 48-hour waiting period in detention before a credible fear interview, for instance, can now be months. Yeah. Uh, Asylees can be paroled from detention after their credible fear interview if they, quote, present neither a security risk nor a risk of absconding. That is taken from uh, an executive order that, that directs ICE in how to deal with these people from 2009 that is still valid, still on the books. But 96% of those who qualify such a parole are denied it and kept in detention. Yeah, where they make profit off of keeping people in prison. At some facilities, that is a 100% figure. Yeah. Asylees in detention are far less likely to get immigration lawyers and therefore far less likely to be granted asylum. Mm-hmm. That... That lawyer is a great help in filling out your 12-page form, and a great help when you're in front of a judge. And when you don't know the language. And when you don't have a lawyer, well, there you go. And yes, these are the detention centers with people piled into cages with families separated, where we're constantly hearing uh, reports of abuse, denial of rights, denial of medical care, uh, and people developing illnesses while just sitting, waiting, Wondering when they will see their children, their grandchildren. Their parents. Their parents. (laughs) These policies have two purposes. They have many purposes, but two I'm going to uh, underline. Mm -hmm. First, to make the idea of coming to the U.S. even scarier to people living in danger than other options. Mm -hmm. As a deterrent to keep these law-abiding people living in fear from coming in. Mm Mm-hmm. And second, as a political bargaining chip for the administration to get their other goals, including further restricting legal immigration. Yep. Yep. Essentially, kidnapping children and holding them for legislative ransom. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I I ran out of information, so I guess it's time to ask a very special question, dear. What have you learned? That I'm fucking angry. A lot of quacks today. A lot of quacks today. Okay, your initial story. Uh, I knew of it. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I always thought there was stuff where they were, like, running out of food. 
starving? Is that just like made up thing from like the Hollywood stuff? Yeah, they I, they they were running low on food. They were it, they were like fine. They were they were not in danger of starvation. Okay. by the time they landed in Belgium. Okay, so maybe it's just like the over drama. Yeah, I did not know so much about the the captain. Mm-hmm. Just learned about that, and obviously I know a bit about uh, what is currently going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but just you know, seeing seeing the process just laid out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I need to punch something right now. <laughs> I'm going to take the dog for no, a minute. No, I'm, I'm going to cuddle her instead, because <laughs> that's a better use of my feelings. I, for one, that Christmas special is a really, has an awful name, very poor taste. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's a title, though, that's often associated with the Titanic, too, though. Not officially, mm-hmm. but I feel like it gets thrown around a lot in media things. More people died in the Titanic. Nobody died, well... One person died on that cruise. Yes. It's just after the cruise. The Voyage of the Damned. I feel like that is like a title that gets put on many boat things. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure I probably Since came across- Since 1974. Yeah. But like, I feel like even just in reading stuff about like the Eastland disaster, that's probably a title that like, it's that it's that phrase, not so much a title, but the phrase usage. Yeah, yeah. It's used with like different boating disasters. Though it's like, nowadays, when you, you know it's more specifically attached to something, it is in very bad taste to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about common phrases. The, the New York Times talking about man's inhumanity to man. Yeah. Yeah. Not coining it. That one's from the 1700s. Yeah. But still. I was going to say, hmm, I wonder if the Cuban government ever apologized, but that Cuban government doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And uh, it, it did not uh, last... Uh, through the decades. Yeah. It's a little, little different situation. Its days were numbered, uh, as it turns out. So with, with that, uh, we're going to take another quick break, and we'll be back with letters and such. Okay. Welcome back, everybody. Hello. Now it's time for the chillest part of the episode, the letters. Yay, letters. Yay, letters. Luckily, we got a lot of animal pictures this time. That helps. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Our prompt for this episode was, I wanted to hear everyone's favorite refugees. Uh, Final Gamer writes in with one uh, very close to their heart, Final Gamer's grandmother, Demetra from Greece. Demetra's a cool name. Yeah. She was born in uh, the middle of war-torn Athens during World War II uh, and fled with her mother uh, to the UK to avoid being jailed for beating up an adulterer. The the mother, not... The ba- child. Not baby Demetra. I mean, she like, She would grow dang. up to do that on her own, but yeah. <laughs> so she grew up in England, then moved to Scotland. She was feisty, vain, and rambunctious. Uh, some bullet points from, from the life of, of Demetra Gamer. Beating up three teachers at the same time, including the headmaster, for wrongly beating and punishing her daughter for something she never did. Uh, I don't know if that's Final Gamer's mother or an aunt, or but someone in the family got, yeah. got physically defended. <laughs> yeah. Throwing out a guy from the bar she worked in despite later finding out he was an axe murderer. 
Oh. Yeah. Tougher than a serial killer. <laughs> Forcefully ejecting an ex-boyfriend of one of her nieces because he was the leader of a local fascist group and threatened him to never come down their street again. <laughs> uh, she fed and cared for the elderly and disabled neighbors in the building she lived in and would cook for anyone. While she hated musicals, she was a huge Disney fan, especially loving the animated Robin Hood. Nice. She also saw The Jungle Book eight times in its opening week in 1967. Dang! She recently passed away from pneumonia at uh, the age of 74. Uh, but Final Gamer is always going to be proud of having a, a Nana who would always stand up for other people and never allow injustice to exist when she was around to do something about it. She sounded pretty kick-ass. Thanks, Final Gamer. That's a great name. That's also a really intimidating name, I feel like. Yeah. Don't mess with me. You're one suffix you away from a dinosaur. <laughs> you tell them Dementra says it's going to kick your ass. <laughs> Don't come back on my street again. Yeah. not No fascists allowed. No. 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 Erica sent us an email with some cat pictures Meow. of uh, their dearly departed cat, Dexter, who's very cute. Meow. Uh, Erica is also a longtime uh, fan, but first time writing in discovering us through your other stuff. Yay! Yeah. And is answering the favorite CIA op uh, prompt, which is the the fictional one, Operation Snake Eater. From Meta Gear Solid 3. Snake Eater! One of us knows what that is. <laughs> uh, so thank you, Erica. Alright, so it starts with the Virtuous Mission. And that's when uh, Naked Snake and the boss went in... Well, the boss wasn't there. It was just Naked Snake. When it, never mind, I'll tell when you When does Moki come into it? Moki's from Metal Gear Solid Five. Oh, so we gotta wait a that's, few. That's the sequel. Okay, so Moki, you don't get your fan art for a few. Uh, I was gonna say years. I don't games. Yeah, yeah, like twenty years. Twenty years. Okay. Peter writes in. One of his favorite refugees is Farouk Bulsara, who uh, fled uh, Tanzania, then called Zanzibar, during the 1964 revolution. There was a, a spate of ethnic cleansing. Uh, they settled in the UK, and uh, Farouk became a celebrated part of the uh, arts community and an early figurehead for, for uh, the, the gay community in particular. He was bisexual himself uh, before his untimely death from AIDS. Uh, the, the surprise twist is that he didn't always live under the name Farouk Balsara, but was probably more uh, uh, recognizable as Freddie Mercury of Queen. Yeah. Yeah. Again, there's going to be a movie about him. Yeah. With Rami Malek. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Peter. Uh, Flavo5 wrote in, answering uh, the prompt of favorite refugee with Albert Einstein, mm -hmm. who they hear is a pretty smart guy. Never met him personally, but uh, yeah, I guess so. I had a t-shirt for years with his face on it. Yeah? Yes, because we share a birthday. Was it the one where he's like sticking his tongue out? No, it was this black shirt that had... His face in, like, white, and then it had a bunch of, like, equations and, like, space stuff and other, like, neon bright pinks and yellows and stuff. You would think it would glow in the dark. It did not. But I owned that shirt. I probably got it when I was, like, four. Mm -hmm. And it was in a huge size, so I could wear it till I was, like, 
11. Nice. It was, it was my, like, birthday shirt. I wore it on my birthday. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Flavor 5 also sent some pictures of Lola, the dog, also known as Snoop-a-doop, Waddle-doo, Curly Butt, Pumpernickel. Aww. I'm glad I'm not the only one who comes up with other names for dogs. Isn't that right, Fluff Nugget? My little nugget. <laughs> but, in case you were wondering, because I was wondering last time what type of dog mm-hmm. this Lola is. Maltipoo. Oh. Which makes sense. Yeah. Thanks, Flavor 5. Josh, the uh, writer formerly known as One Fine Cat, has been catching up recently and, and, inclu- and sent us a... a few show suggestions. I usually skip over these, but th- there is a bit of a coincidence yeah. that happened. One of those show suggestions includes uh, the rise of the Nazi party, uh, specifically events such as the Nuremberg Laws and Kristallnacht. Mm. So, yeah, th- this episode uh, covered them briefly as part of the uh, uh, background to a specific event. Uh, we, we may come back to it eventually, and if that takes years, I hope this is enough to tide you over <laughs> until a, a more in-depth coverage. I do like the end of Josh's email about how he thinks us covering this in, you know, as a podcast with an adorable married couple and a car- calm discussion would be good. <laughs> I don't know if Josh actually listens to our show, because I'm not sure I'm ever calm. You're very calm when I talk about, like, movie stars. <laughs> I mean, I know I don't say a lot during these episodes, but I'm definitely not calm. <laughs> you also edit out a lot of the swearing I do. Yes, it's true. <laughs> but sure, sure, I get your point, Josh. Thanks, Josh. Claritic sent us an email answering the refugee prompt as well, and they are going with a friend of theirs. Mm-hmm. Uh Hadak Al-Fayyad is a refugee who fled from Iraq to to Australia in 2003 when she was 10. Uh, A trip that her family could only make because her father had fled there earlier. Uh, And she became a lawyer and got into activism. Um, Claritic points out that these days in Australia, there's a... some very horrible policies about refugees and asylum seekers. And Fadak has decided to do some, to, to help with this. Uh, so they, she has gone on a, a speaking tour specifically aiming to talk to people who have probably never talked to refugee before, uh, with the idea that, you know, if they've never talked to a refugee before, they don't really know them and they're supporting policies because they think they're supposed to or because of this or that and hopefully by getting to know someone who is a refugee it'll help change their mind uh and support better policy Mm -hmm. uh which is a very awesome thing your friend is doing so thank you claritic and thank you to your friend for doing what they're doing yeah that's all the letters we uh have to read for you today uh, if you would like to send us something for our mailbag, those can go to... HistoryHoneysPodcast at gmail.com. That's right. And we want to hear about your show suggestions, your questions, comments, uh, corrections, any stories you might like to have shared. And, uh, as always, 
our prompts for upcoming episodes. So, darling, what would you like to hear about for episode 57? I want to hear what your favorite child star is. Mm-hmm. Like, child actor. Jonathan Lipnicki. Who's that? <laughs> no, I know that name. I don't remember who they are. Who was the kid in Jerry Maguire? That's what I thought. Who was then everywhere for like three years and then yeah. disappeared. It was like the kid from Sixth Sense. Yeah. Did a lot of stuff then disappeared. He's coming back. He's coming back. Yeah. So yeah, tell me that. Doesn't have to be recent because this is history, but <laughs> tell me that. <laughs> and those can go to historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com. While you're out there, we love hearing from you. We especially love uh, getting to talk to you on social media. You can find us at History Honeys on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. Uh-huh. Uh, if you follow our Twitter, you, you found us sharing uh, an article recently about the actual provenance of Fountain, uh, commonly uh, attributed to Marcel Duchamp. Yes. No, 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 no. That's wrong. It is made by one of two lady artists, uh, depending on which art historian did the research. Yes. And only attributed to Duchamp by uh, uh, the angry man. The angry man. Andre Breton. Oh, yes. That angry man. That angry man. You can also leave us a rating and review. Yeah. Give us them stars on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, or, or wherever else you can. Google Play people. Mm-hmm. There's like two of you. We love you just the same. Yes. And while you're helping us game the system in this uh, dystopia of algorithms, why don't you just reach out and touch somebody? Go and give a... a Except have consent. Or, or just talk, I guess. Just talk. Yeah. You don't have to touch people. Not everyone wants to be touched. Figuratively speaking, <laughs> with a recommendation, person-to-person, word-of-mouth, it's, it's the only advertising we have and it's the most powerful tool there is for for getting people to give something a shot and and see whether they like it or not they probably will we make a good show here sorry to derail you with that i've just really been working on boundaries with my students (laughs) personal bubbles people personal bubbles i'm touching your bubble don't touch my bubble uh, so with that thanks everybody for listening to us uh, a 56th time yeah We'll be seeing you in two weeks. Yep. I'm Grant. I'm Elena. And history's better with with your honey. honey.